0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Bellinger The Canadian Investor Podcast. It is November 2nd. We're into November and earning season rolls on and we're here to be that news source for you guys. As you guys know, Monday recording, we do investing strategy, uh, what we're thinking about with our own portfolios, and then lots of news coverage on the Thursday morning release, which is timely right now during earnings season. Simon, we have an interesting episode here today. We have partnered with Quarter, the investing app that lets you listen to conference calls right on your phone. I describe it as like Spotify for earnings calls. And it's really helpful. Like, I they they introduced it so they're like, "Hey, let's sponsor the podcast," and I was like, "Sure." And then I have used it as a customer, like out of my own time, religiously. Because Simon, mean, this is a, this is a real gap in the market. Uh, so they they're doing a good job. But we're gonna put in some some snippets from their app right in here as we talk about some of the earnings calls, and and we can get some some voices from management teams around these these companies. Do you want to kick it off here with? what is no longer the largest publicly traded company as Microsoft has passed Apple as the number one in market cap. What do you got for us around Apple here?
1: Yeah, so Apple released their Q4 results and full-year results, of course, whenever a company releases Q4. Um, Revenues were up 33% to 365 billion, yes, with a B. Product sales were up 34% to 297 billion services sales up 27% to 68 billion and services now represent 18% of total sales and that's really interesting for me as a shareholder because um apple started transitioning a few years ago and putting more emphasis on that saas revenue so their services and it's great to see that it's increasing quite rapidly and making them a bit less reliant on the on the hardware sales but obviously it's still a small portion of their revenues, but just nice to see that uh, grow quite significantly year over year. Net income was up 64% to 94 billion. Uh, the gross margins were actually up more than 300 basis point to four, 41%. Always something nice to see. And free cash flow was up 27% to 93 billion. Again, I love free cash flow. Again, nice to see from Apple uh, that they're still generating cash hand over fist. Their dividend of $0. 22 cents a share announced, which is the same as the previous quarter, and they returned over $100 billion to shareholders in the form of share buybacks and dividends for 2021, which is just mind-boggling. Um, Tim Cook also mentioned during their earnings calls that they estimated that the supply chain issues would cause them an additional six billion dollars driven mostly by chip shortages and on that note let's hear about uh, tim cook on the actual earnings call we estimate these constraints had around a six billion dollar revenue dollar impact driven primarily by industry-wide silicon shortages and covid-related manufacturing disruptions even so we set an all-time record for mac and quarterly records for iPhone, iPad, wearables, home, and accessories, representing 30% year-over-year growth in products. So as you guys can see, it is definitely a concern for Apple, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it shouldn't be too much of an issue Of with all the numbers I've mentioned. Six billion is almost a pocket change for Apple. Um, I was, As a side note, I found something interesting as I was doing my research, I ended up on the CNBC website and I noticed they actually made an error on their headlines for Apple where they were referring to revenue increases 29% for the full year, which is untrue. Like I mentioned, the increase was 29% for the quarter year over year. Um, It just reinforces when you're doing your research on a company, make sure you look at uh, the numbers yourself. News outlets sometimes they're humans, they can make mistakes, and that's just an example right here. It is
0: incredible that we have a company where we say, Ah, it's only six billion. Like, that is the scale of profitability and cash flow that this business is generating. $93 billion in free cash flow, returning over a hundred billion to shareholders because they have that. Outrageously large cash pile as well. This business just prints money. And, uh, you know, from a margin profile perspective, from a free cash flow perspective, from a top line revenue growth perspective. And I liked how you pointed out the services business. You know, it, it does make up such a big portion of Apple's total revenue pie. And And the bottom line as well, because it is so high margin, but the services do something really interesting with Apple is the services segment makes the rest of the hardware ecosystem so sticky, because that is what kind of glues together all of their products from, from what people call the Apple ecosystem. And so the fact that they're actually monetizing that so well now, uh, what, you know, it's interesting here with a business, with all of the shortages that we've seen, especially in the semiconductor landscape, Apple still gets it done with 33% growth on the top line. Um, it is just remarkable. And, and Tim Cook is uh, is a very good CEO.
1: Yeah, well said, well put. And now, um, so one of your your Canadian darlings, you want to tell us what's going on over there? One of my Canadian darlings
0: is right. TFI International ticker T F I I. Um they had revenues just past the 2 billion mark in the third quarter, which is more than double this time last year. It's actually up 124% and if you back out the fuel charges it's about 116%. So but more than double on the top line. The third quarter operating income from continuous operations of 192.8 million, increased 65%. That is the KPI they discuss a lot just because there's the fuel surcharge and and other nuances to the business and and operating income from continued operations is uh, one of their highlights that they, they, they like to point out. And that was up 65%. So they're benefiting from a continued rebound in both economic activity and transportation demand. Free cash flow was up 38%. Simon, winners keep winning, and with TFI International, here's a stock that is still not expensive, given the surprising growth profile and superb management team. Elaine Bedard and the team—you know—they're wizards at acquisitions. And and one question I have for you, Simon, here is: Is this a real thing that if if you're from Quebec, you're French Canadian, and your name is Elaine, you're good at global acquisitions? Is that just a fact at this point? <sighs>
1: I guess that's hard to argue. I mean, I think it's probably, uh I'm not sure. Yeah. They uh, they obviously have a good track uh, <laughs> record. It's a rhetorical question. With, yeah. With yeah.
0: Bouchard and Bedard, I mean, mm-hmm. th- these guys, these guys know what they're doing and, and they are, they are value creators, um, good at buying pretty boring businesses overall, um, potentially distressed businesses, taking them, making them great. and And that's, That's the secret sauce here. I did not expect when I was buying TFI International stock at nine times earnings, I did not expect revenues to be doubling a year later. And this just goes down to stock investing. You can do all of the research that you can, and and that's what I think I did with this name. And sometimes the results may surprise you for better or for worse, and sometimes just flat out, the company does way better than you could ever expect. But the key here is you don't you don't sell these winners because they can continue to impress and it still is a trading at a very reasonable price tag here.
1: Yeah, and obviously I think the pandemic may have been a good thing for them. It probably pulled forward uh and definitely some big tail 100 in terms. Yeah, in terms from them. And clearly no one could have foreseen that before it actually happened, but you know, a lot of people could have foreseen that e-commerce and last mile delivery and so on would have had tailwinds uh in the next decade so i think it's just uh just goes to show if you clearly you know you did your due diligence on them and you like the company but uh this was a nice surprise as well i was trying to buy e-commerce plays without paying 55 times sales
0: <laughs> and i arrived at trucking and it was yeah. a good trade mm-hmm. yeah, so definitely. um Let's transition to the story that was basically, even if you don't listen to this podcast or work on Wall Street, you knew that Facebook has changed their company's name to Meta. Now, um, let's pull a a little timestamp out of, of the call here because the announcement to change the name was a few days after their conference call but i think there's an important point here to pull out of 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 the call and and mark zuckerberg has touched this touched on this many times on the latest conference calls is he is very serious about the metaverse thing and call it what you want say yeah i know it's a, it's a rebranding get away from the icky facebook branding yes don't get me wrong that's probably a smart idea but Mark is serious about owning this next computing platform, and it is a pivotal moment in their history, for better or for worse, and I think we're, we're going to see that play out. But let's hear from, from Mark about owning this next computing platform.
1: Beyond Reels and Commerce, I also want to share some thoughts on our longer-term efforts to build the next computing platform and help bring the metaverse to life. This is a major area of investment for us, and an important part of our strategy going forward. And I view this work as critical to our mission, because delivering a sense of presence, like you're right there with another person, that's the holy grail of online social experience. Over the next decade, these new platforms are going to start to unlock the kinds of experiences that I've wanted to build since before I even started Facebook. Okay, yeah. So we've been hearing that from Mark Zuckerberg for quite some time now, and obviously afterwards they came out to say that their um, their new name would be Meta, and uh, this would take effect in terms of the symbol, which would be MVRs on December first, twenty twenty one. You know, Mark Zuckerberg has been a big proponent of that, uh, saying that's the future of things, and I I get to some extent to the name change uh, with. You know, putting all the bad publicity aside for a second, uh, just the fact that, yes, being named Facebook when you have apps like Instagram, you have apps like WhatsApp, um, it's kind of weird to have them just name Facebook. And I'll just say I'm not a big Mark Zuckerberg fan to begin with. I think a lot of people uh, know that about me, but I'll give him credit where credit is due. He's created a lot of shareholder value. Um, For me, the thing that I don't love is really, you know, if we're talking about ESG, it's the S and the G, and <laughs> that's really concerning for me. So the social and governance. Having said that, uh, great numbers from Facebook for their latest uh, Q3 results. Sales up 35% to 29 billion. Net net income was up 17% to 9.1 billion. The daily active users was up 6% year over year to 1.93 billion. That's that's really crazy if you ask me. That they're still seeing that growth in daily active users monthly active users was up six percent to 2.9 billion i probably fall in that that category over here because i don't use uh, facebook on a daily basis but uh, i do use it uh, once in a while uh, mostly in the form of instagram they repurchased a total of 14.3 billion in shares in q3 and they re- they stated that they'll incur an additional $10 billion in expenses for investment in Facebook reality labs, which is a big part of the new metaverse that uh, we just mentioned that Zuckerberg is trying to build. Uh, the segment also includes augmented reality, virtual reality, hardware, software, and content. And I don't know about you, Braden, For me, the metaverse, I think it's... Uh, and you see a lot of different definitions, but for me... It's almost, you know, your your digital self, right? How you kind of interact with, uh, you know, whether it's Facebook, whether you play different types of video games online, just kind of your, your digital fe- uh, digital self. Um, that's how I see the metaverse. I don't know if that's the kind of vision that Zuckerberg has. I don't even know if that's the definition you have in your mind. Yeah.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Ready Player One?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A lot of people reference
0: that. That's that's the metaverse right it's it's going into a virtual world and being engaged with it in a virtual reality space and that's why he's building these the hardware side with with oculus and spending 10 billion dollars on facebook reality labs uh so this is very interesting. The official name on when I go on Stratosphere and type in FB ticker now actually comes up as Meta Platforms Inc. Meta <laughs> Platforms Inc., which I find uh very interesting. So we'll we'll see. I mean, there is a lot of we'll see happening with, with Facebook. It is still a distant future to the metaverse. And I've been saying this for a long time. There are companies building for the metaverse, not named Facebook, uh, and it's not new. Tencent has been investing in the, in the metaverse for a long time, um, and they own the gaming side of the, those, those engines, like Unreal Engine as well, uh, Unity. So those game engines are a powerful proponent of the metaverse. And I see Facebook's been quietly actually... Buying gaming studios, game development studios, and uh, so they're they're gearing up for it, and and spending ten billion and on R and D for Facebook Reality Labs means they are really willing to push this. And he is a founder leader, so he doesn't care about Wall Street's opinion that they he should just buy back stock and not do any of this. Stop stop spending ten billion when you can just buy back stock. But Mark doesn't care. He's a founder. Visionary, and he wants to build the next platform. That's what he's going to do because it's his company.
1: Yeah, I saw an interest. I actually ahead, saw an ahead. interesting take uh, quickly um, on Twitter, and I listened to it on uh, another podcast as well. Is, um, you know, some people are speculating that also Facebook is seeing um, some threats from decentralized platforms because I know we talked about Ethereum in the previous uh, podcast and uh, just the potential that those type of platforms could actually eat up some of the uh, metaverse market. So that's just kind of an interesting take that I saw. Um, I, you know, who knows what will happen, but uh, a lot of people are speculating that they're trying to get ahead of it. So Facebook is still able to capture a lot of that audience, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now.
0: Yeah, I think it's smart from that perspective to to start as early as you can, because like you're mentioning, this decentralized or what people are calling Web3, uh, even uh, play-to-earn gaming, which we'll, we should probably do a segment on play-to-earn gaming. Oh, yeah. It is fascinating. you seen like what's going on with the, in the Philippines and uh, in Venezuela is that people are earning more than minimum wage for playing video games in the form of basically earning Ethereum.
1: I plane. did not know that. Yeah. That's Dude, hilarious. That's crazy. It is
0: mind boggling and this this goes down to, to the metaverse where people are actually earning money in a in a virtual world better than they could earn minimum wage in some of these in some of these countries like that are economically distressed, like Venezuela, for instance.
1: We should do a, an episode just try to play to her and see how we
0: do. <laughs> oh god I know like I'm I'm a rookie with understanding it but I, I understand the gist of it and it is wildly fascinating um okay let's move on to MasterCard y'all know on the podcast I love the payments rails MasterCard and Visa I own them equally uh, in large concentration at this point uh, revenue is up 30% earnings per share increased 62% from Q3 of last year and cross-border volume was up 52%. They returned capital to shareholders with $1.6 billion in share buybacks and $434 million in dividends paid. Now, let's discuss this business between 2021 now and 2019, pre-pandemic, because the payment rails business, Visa and MasterCard, are greatly affected by consum- consumer spending and international travel. Due to cross-border transactions, like when you use your card in another country, that makes up a good portion of their revenue. They make more money on those transactions. So cross-border volume is now only down 15% for MasterCard of the volume we saw in Q3 of 2019. So it is only down 15% from the cross-border volume we saw pre-pandemic. Now, that is remarkable given the challenges, you know, outside of traveling outside of your country and people's hesitancy and willingness to do that. And Simon, I was so curious about this phenomenon. Like, how is travel down so much, namely international travel, yet cross border volumes for Visa and MasterCard are only down? Well, MasterCard in this example is only down 15%. According to the World Tourism Organization and Agency of the United Nations, international travel was down 67% from 2019 in the month of July this year, which is, you know, this summer. Yet, cross-border transactions are only down 15%. How peculiar is that, right? There, there is a mismatch between volumes happening and cross-border transactions, we now have total revenue in Q3 on MasterCard higher in 2021 than it was in 2019. Even without, even with all this diff- difficulty, this is a tremendous business. Um, let's hear from Michael Maybach, who has an interesting little snippet here, which is about the omni-channel experience that people are using the cards for um, and an update on cross-border transactions.
1: In terms of how people are
0: spending, cart present volumes continue to improve as people are getting out and shopping more, while we're still seeing sustained strength in cart not present spend. So regardless of whether people want to shop online or in person, our solutions support that choice
1: and position us well to participate in both trends. Now let's take a look at cross-border. Overall cross-border returned to 2019 levels in August driven by improvements in consumer and commercial travel, as well as the ongoing strength of
0: cross-border card not present spending ex-travel. Now, cross-border travel improved from 48% of 2019 levels in the second quarter to 72% this quarter, with substantial upside potential still remaining as in when borders open. Now, we saw, we saw him touch on cross-border there as well, but I thought it was worth mentioning that he called out the strength of people using their cards whether it's debit or credit, when card is not present, like when you shop online, like that segment is growing so fast. So they're navigating a changing landscape with super apps and e-commerce and your, your card not being present. It's no longer about the car, right? It's about the network. It's no longer about the credit card business. It's about this protocol business that they have created that facilitates transactions. The card business was just one method of making that happen. And now we are seeing it transcend into all kinds of distribution channels, whether it's card not present, whether it's super app or whether it is with your credit or debit card. This is a fantastic business with margins that make no sense. They're incredible. Um, and so that's that's what I'm taking away from MasterCard's latest results.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that the market reacted a little adversely because they thought cross border, I would probably be picking up a bit more. But I'm going to go and venture to say that probably the discrepancy we're seeing with the uh, World Tourism Organization is that, you know, they're probably getting the data as a whole. And it doesn't necessarily weight it for maybe richer countries, for example, the U.S., Canada, West, uh, Western Europe. Um, so that's probably where there's a bit more of a discrepancy. Most likely those richer countries, it increased a bit more than people expected. And countries were you know, they're not as rich as those uh, countries. It's not uh, picked up all that much, but yet their you know, their usage you know, they may not have as much disposable income that they would be using on the MasterCard network. So my point being, that's true. That's going to make
0: up some of it, but the actual usage of credit cards and debit cards cross-border is accelerating in terms of, you know, percent of transactions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that is what is the telling sign for me. I can wait for travel to come back. But the fact that the real headwind, the real tailwind, sorry, underpinning this digital payments growth is cash and check are not good means of of actually paying and transacting transacting in commerce in 2021. It's just not it's just not a good way to go and we're seeing that play out.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, we talked about inflation the last episode, and I think MasterCard should do pretty well in an inflationary environment. Uh, As long as we don't see like extreme inflation, I think they should do well because, right, it's a percentage of each transaction, so it's not as much an issue for them. That's correct. Okay, and now... We'll move on to our next earnings. We don't have a clip for this one, but people uh, know this company. It's uh, Teladoc. So they released their Q3 2021 earnings. Uh, They also provided some insight on their uh, full year guidance. So third quarter revenue grew 81% year over year to 522 million they updated their revenue outlook for the full year they actually just narrowed their their range uh, on the lower side um so now it's between 2.015 uh, million to 2.025 um sorry 2.015 billion to 2.025 billion They're forecasting revenues of $2.6 billion for 2022. They did say, however, that they'll provide more information during uh, their full year earnings release, which is pretty typical for them and companies in general. Organic revenue grew 32%, which excludes acquisitions in the past 12 months, so it excludes Livongo. Total third quarter visits topped $3.9 That's 37% higher than Q3 2020. Adjusted EBITDA grew 71% year-over-year. Year. Gross margins were steady in the 67% range. 75% of visits were non-infectious disease-related uh, visit, and mental health-related visits doubled year-over-year. Year. So th- the uh, non-infectious disease was actually um, 50% pre-pandemic, so it actually they're less reliant on things like COVID, for example. The percentage of chronic care members enrolled in more than one program has grown three times year over year to 24%. They have significant new agreements with CVS Health and Centene to provide Teladoc Health Primary 360 to deliver greater care access and health engagement. And it was ranked first in consumer satisfaction by J.D. Power 2021 for US Telehealth Satisfaction Study. So obviously, overall, great results from Teladoc. Their business is growing well, and the fears that some people had that the pandemic was a temporary tailwind, I think in my mind, they're starting to show that uh, that fear can be put to rest. The Lavongo acquisition really seems to be paying dividend. And I've been saying that since it happened, that we'll have to wait and see. A lot of people said they paid a lot for the acquisition. They weren't sure how it would work well. But now what's starting to emerge is people really want one platform that can do it all. They don't want to go to various virtual care platforms. And TeleDoc is really starting to establish itself in the US as the best total virtual care solution. Um, So I'm still a shareholder, have been for close to five years now, just on top of my mind. And uh, this was definitely a great earnings result in my view. The stock was actually up uh, 10%, I think, the day that it came out.
0: Interesting. And we've seen the stock pull back way from its highs. And this is what happens when stocks, even as a shareholder yourself, Simon, you can agree, the stock got ahead of itself. Yet, yet, the long-term fundamentals were solid the whole time. And this just goes to show you, especially if you own growth stocks like a a Teladoc, if you own high-valued growth stocks and they get ahead of themselves or the momentum wanes off because momentum is very much at play with stocks, especially – Especially with the liquidity around the world right now, yet the fundamentals were strong. so if you believed in the business and you believed in the long-term story, who cares about the stock price on a you know two quarter basis? It's irrelevant for long-term shareholders It's completely irrelevant for long-term shareholders. so this goes back to time and time again, focus on the business because if you if you saw teledoc. Stock go bananas, and and Simon became a gajillionaire, and then it pulled back, you know, on a short time horizon. But Simon's not looking at the stock price; you're looking at the business fundamentals, and that is a very important takeaway. And and I think that everyone can kind of learn from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had someone I can't remember who who like told me they paid like over two hundred dollars for for the stock and then it had gone down to like 140, should they sell and so on. And like, honestly, you really need to have conviction in the business you invest in. And it's unfortunate in the short term that you're looking at a loss. But again, if you really believe in the business, shouldn't get too worried about short term price fluctuations. I mean, I think the stock from its peak is probably half price at this point, right? It's gone down about 50%. Um, So I think it's just a reminder, make sure you know what you're getting into. And when you're looking at growth stocks, I mean, it's you're gonna be in for a ride. So make sure you have conviction in that business.
0: Yeah, and that goes to another point, which is you can't borrow conviction from someone else. If someone tells you, even if Simon and I tell you it's a great business, we might be tr- that might be correct, but if you don't have the conviction in it yourself, and you see a little bit of volatility, you might not know. You know, we're texting each other, going back and forth, going. Don't care. Business is doing great. But if you don't know the business, you won't have any sort of insight on what you should do with your portfolio. So you can't borrow conviction. You can't borrow conviction from us. You can't borrow conviction from anyone. And that goes down to, uh got to do some of your own research. Shopify. Canadian tech, darling. Shopify revenue is up 46% year over year. Subscription solutions were up 37%. I'm going to touch on that that metric in a sec. Gross merchandise volume was up 35% year over year, and they reported $102 million of adjusted net income. All right, now let's let's double-click on the subscription solutions. We're up 37%. This is the software as a service subscription revenue. So that when you sign up for Shopify, you know, yeah, they're taking a cut on gross merchandise volume from when you make sales, but that is the actual like subscription cost to having Shopify, like whether it's $18 a month or whatever plan you are on, depending on the size of your business. But what that means if it's up 37% is mostly, largely that new customers are signing up for Shopify and using their platform. So then they're going to on-ramp more gross merchandise volume as they go. So there's, there's that lag between subscription solutions and then gross volume actually going up. So that is a metric that I really th- like tracking because it actually speaks to their core customer base. All right, so the reason that Shopify has been so successful is their agility. And what I mean by that, and, and software developers will know, but agility is their ability to develop new features and products to serve entrepreneurs with speed and with greatness, but definitely with speed. They're a truly product-first company, and Toby and Harley have deserved some serious credit around developing this product-first company. In Q3, they launched Shopify Markets, which is a product that helps cross-border commerce easier, uh, makes it easier for entrepreneurs. Shopify Balance, which is a money management product uh, to merchants, they launching that first in the States. They introduced TikTok shopping to merchants. So uh, I don't use TikTok, but if you do, you'll notice now you can buy things right from uh, from TikTok accounts. Um, they So TikTokers can set up merchant stores right on their page. Um, and we've seen that with Facebook as well. So now TikTok doing that. Now, this leads me to something very interesting that's happening that is kind of underpinning Shopify's growth moving forward is their partnerships with social shopping like what i just mentioned with tiktok and with facebook is they win deals left right and center with the biggest platform like the biggest social channels to be the enabler of e-commerce on their platform uh so to speak on that i want to i want to show a clip of harley finkelstein who is the president discussing this uh from an analyst question on their quarterly
1: call it's quite clear at this point that shopify really we believe the future of commerce is going to be everywhere and the demand for more services to conduct commerce will continue to grow. And so as entrepreneurs grow and succeed, they will need multiple channels. Uh, we are seeing more commerce happen through Shopify on social channels. That includes Facebook channels, Pinterest, TikTok, Snap as well. And actually, the GMV contribution from social channels grew year over year. GMV attributed to social channels grew at several times that of online channels. And, uh, and, and more shops were successful in making sales to those channels in Q3 this year versus Q3 of last year. Part of the reason also we're introducing things like TikTok shopping is that it's not just a new channel, but it, it allows this organic product discovery right into the shopping, right, right into the videos and, and, and also creates these new shopping tabs. So you will see Shopify show up in more of these surfaces where commerce can be conducted.
0: Now, what you're hearing from Harley is shopifys mi- they're a very mission purpose-driven company. And what they're doing ultimately serves entrepreneurs and the creator economy. So if you are a TikToker or a Pinterester, you can easily set up these merchants. Now, creators need to serve multiple channels when they're with their following and customers because they need to be able to sell to wherever their customers are, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Pinterest, Shop, Shopify is powering this. And it's one of those things where Shopify must be doing something right that these large tech companies are not producing these solutions in house, right? Because what that means is it's more complicated than what meets the eye to develop Shopify's value proposition, and then becomes a no brainer for these large multi hundred billion dollar firms to develop to not develop it in house, but to actually lean on Shopify as a partner to roll out this merchant service for for their social platforms, so I found that really interesting, and it's something I never really got correct in the Shopify thesis. Um, and I can't really blame myself; it's still fairly new, and, and maybe maybe it's still very early in the story. Perhaps it is, but I, I think that these kinds of tell tales and how they win customers and demonstrate their value proposition is very important to to start paying attention to.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Um so well put. I mean, I didn't look at their, their earnings release, so I'm just going to go with what you said, but definitely Shopify is just com- you know, it's impressed and if it wasn't for the valuation, I'd be a shareholder and I keep saying that and you know, probably I'll probably, I'll probably eat my words and <laughs> I'll probably regret it forever as uh, we we keep going forward, but uh yeah, I mean, they just uh, they just keep, uh, you know, powering all these different platforms, and it, like you said, it seems like uh, tech, large tech players are just not challenging them. So we, for whichever reason, but just goes to show that Shopify is doing something right. Okay, so now we're gonna finish off with uh, two Canadian businesses bit different so not uh, not big tech by any stretch of the imagination uh the first one i don't think we've talked about them before uh akon group uh so they released their earnings q3 2021 uh for those who are not aware of akon you probably if you just kind of Keep an eye out for them, especially for construction projects uh, on the road and so on. You'll probably see their name quite a bit. It's a large construction firm, and they have segments in civil construction, urban transportation, nuclear utilities, and industrial sector. Um, As a side note, my dad retired, but he did some consulting work for them when he was retired for uh, people who had claims with WSIB and uh, they had uh, injuries following workplace injuries and had to get their homes retrofitted so it could have someone who lost the use of their legs and then needed everything retrofitted so they could access, you know, washrooms and things like that. So just, just to give a little bit of context to what they do. They're, the reason also I wanted to talk about them is, first, they're Canadian, and second, um, it'll give us some good insights on all the investments that are happening in terms of infrastructure as well. So, revenue was up slightly less than 12% to 1.6 billion year over year for Q3. Um, Almost identical increases if we look at nine months in terms of percentage increase. Net income was down 50% year over year to 38 million cash flow was negative mostly with a decrease in unearned revenue which means that they had received advance payment for services they had done but not yet provided uh, you'll see that from time to time especially for things like that uh, large companies like this where they win a contract they may get an initial payment and then there's later on some payments as well they have 6 billion in backlog and 40 plus billion in active bids for potential projects um On that, they had a record level of infrastructure investment underway across ACON's focus area. Um, They have government investment in infrastructure as a key source of economic stimulus as part of the COVID-19 recovery plan. And they actually had that in their investor presentation. Um, So it just goes to show that uh, it's starting to be a big tailwind for them. Uh, For those interested in dividend, they have a quarterly dividend of... 17 cents and 50 per share Um, it has grown at a rate of eight percent annually over the past five years but you'll see when you look at their statement it can be very lumpy um, because it's a bit of a cyclical business that relies on investment for the most part, from governments, uh, so that's pretty normal. And some things like, uh, like I mentioned, they might receive payments in advance for some projects that they still haven't completed. So you have to keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, you know their net income or their cash flow statements.
0: I actually met John Beck, the guy, the founder of of Acon, at a conference because he's uh, an engineer by background. He graduated graduated from McGill and uh, McGill University and I used to be in the power and, and infrastructure engineering business you know before before going to stratosphere full-time so I met him at a conference and he was one of the better speakers I had he was one of those one of those people who stood up on the stage and I think he like kind of kicked off the conference because he was one of the definitely one of the bigger names there and he's one of those figures where you just don't look away when they're talking, and he's obviously an incredible leader and built this massive billion dollar engineering firm and construction firm. But I just wanted to highlight that because I'm always interested in these these founder stories and um yeah I, I don't have really anything more to add than that other than it's very hard not to be bullish on infrastructure, whether it's locally or globally. I think it is incredibly difficult to not be long infrastructure here. Given everything going on, it all points to infrastructure. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a long-term bet from my perspective. And uh, that's why I own Brookfield Asset Management. It is the behemoth of infrastructure globally. And they have scale competitive advantages that a lot of people just don't have uh, from a global perspective. So uh, it's 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 another infrastructure play here, Akon. Uh, probably really well run. Not one that I know particularly well, but again, it's uh, really hard not to be long infrastructure from my perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this one, like it might also fly a little bit more on, under the radar too. So obviously people- Probably only trade on the do,
0: TSX, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And uh, I know their shares went up a few years back when there was- uh, a chinese firm that was trying to purchase them and that uh, ended up not going through mm-hmm. uh but it's not a company you hear that often about at least on the public market so um i thought it was no, interesting just No not on the public markets
0: it. yeah but i feel like mm-hmm. ev- i mean I, I feel like everyone knows who they are maybe at least where I, where i live because they are a big player in a lot of the <laughs> When you're stuck on the highway, well, you see them. Yeah. when you're stuck on a traffic jam because there's construction, ACON usually has something to do with that. So that's how a lot of people know who they are. But yeah, they're $1 billion, uh in market cap on the TSX ticker ARE. It's been a uh, volatile up and down stock that pays a dividend because, you know, it does have quite a cyclical nature to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now we'll move on to another Canadian name. So one we've talked a bit before, uh, Suncor. They had their earnings release. Uh, they announced that they are doubling the dividend to $0.42 cents a share, which is what it was in 2019 prior to them slashing the dividend due to COVID-19. This will start in with their upcoming dividend in December of this year. The board also authorized further share repurchases, which means that they could have repurchased seven percent of their outstanding shares compared to january 31st 2021 levels as of september 31st 2021 net debt was reduced by 3.1 billion they are anticipating that net debt will have been reduced by 5 billion overall in 2021 revenue increase 58 percent year over year to 10.1 billion again Keep in mind here, base effects, what was going on last year, price of oil was very low. A lot of people were not traveling, so this makes a whole lot of sense. Revenues were up across all their segments. Net income of 870, $877 million versus a net loss of $12 million last year. Again, let's keep in mind context here almost a 10x increase in free cash flow to 3.5 billion dollars it was 300 million last year dividend has grown 10% of of, uh, sorry dividend was about 10% of free cash flow which makes sense that they are doubling it going forward so it's not going to be a big percentage of free cash flow even with the doubling here um you know i'm not an investor in oil i know you're not as well but if uh people are looking for value plays i mean this is definitely an area where uh, i think there's some value to be added. it's still a lot of people are down on that industry but um i like what suncor is doing they're reducing their debt so they're reducing their leverage They're returning more money to shareholders. Um, So really, if you're a shareholder, I'm not. You know, it's a very good earnings release from Suncor.
0: This is a space that you got to play the quality names. You have to play the quality names, and Suncor is one of the quality names. They just are. Um, It's a well-run company. uh, And you know what? The the this cycle looks pretty good for them, and that's not something that I have any sort of insight on predicting and that's where i don't i don't play there there's no pricing power and for all the other reasons but you could you could probably make a lot of money on some of these things looking forward i'm not gonna lie Simon, because you're going into a very favorable cycle from my perspective which is to be taken with a grain of salt when it comes to predicting these cycles but could be a phenomenal cycle and and the stocks trade for very cheap valuations based on what they're able to produce. Now, uh they did say at the COP26 thing that that was happening yesterday that we are going to Canada is going to be whether it happens or not is is Canada is going to be putting a strict cap on fossil fuel producers like Suncor. And so this is just a regulatory environment i don't want to be a part of because it makes it a very difficult challenging environment for these businesses to operate even if you go oh these politicians don't know what they're talking about even if that is your perspective and many people's perspective it's the 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 fact of the matter is it's a very difficult business environment to navigate when regulators want you to not be producing emissions and for for an oil and gas company it is just very difficult to operate in that
1: yeah and it's going to be there are certain types of industries where regulatory risk is always going to be a very high risk and you know oil in 2021 and beyond is one of those industries like you can't get around it it is a regulatory risk. We just saw it with what you said. I saw that too. Hard cap being imposed. Will it change? Maybe, but again, it's hard to make a thesis on that. It's kind of out of their control what happens in that, in that standpoint. And there's other industries like that, but that's a perfect, uh, perfect example of it. If you're buying these things,
0: you're hoping for. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know, I know if this is for me. If I'm buying Suncor, if I'm buying CNQ, Canadian Natural, Canadian Natural Resources. I'm hoping for multiple expansion, right? You're hoping for some multiple expansion. And what are the chances you actually see that re-rate on the stock and get multiple expansion? Probably not great, right? Like tobacco investors have been waiting for a re-rate for how many decades now? Is it ever going to come? Probably not, right? So that is a that is another thing to consider that value investors have, or or at least- some value investors mm-hmm. have got burned on in the past, which is expecting that there has to be a re-rate on a stock. It's just not true there ha- there doesn't have to be a re-rate on the stock because the the sentiment around oil is not getting better tomorrow than it is today and that's something to be to be aware of. but Simon, natural gas is going to rip. <laughs> natural gas passed the you know officially has passed the highest it's been since december of 2009 it is basically 4x in price since the summer of 2020 uh we're in for a uh, expensive winter of natural gas
1: yeah and i was gonna say just to add what you were saying for the multiple expansion you know if i were to invest in suncor i think i would have the mentality of you know what I'm calculating my returns on what they're returning to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases, and anything beyond that is kind of gravy. That's That's almost like, yeah, Yeah. that's kind of how I would approach it.
0: You can't underwrite multiple expansion on these things, and if you do, I think it's short-sighted.
1: Yeah, and anything, it's basically a bonus. That's almost how you have to approach (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Alright guys, that does it for this episode. I hope you like this format. Uh, we did partner with, with Quarter. They have all the companies we're talking about on their on their, uh, on their app. You can, you can find their earnings call and listen to it kind of like a podcast. They're not quite as exciting as our podcast, Simon. Some of them no. are more exciting. Some, some, of the, some of the earnings calls are more exciting and I think you can kind of figure out which ones are exciting after listening to a few.
1: Yeah, I I use it too. I find it super useful and I used to like find it so annoying to go on the IR website and then I create a fake email because I didn't want them to have my information. They don't want you spamming
0: them with the IR stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, it's at the fingertip. You can search for whichever one uh, you want to listen to. So uh, it's a really great, really great tool.
0: Yeah, It it is. And you can just get it on your phone for free. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you have not been to stratosphereinvesting.com, I strongly encourage you to do so because it is the easiest way to ask us questions. And we'll be answering some questions for the podcast shortly here. You can just write them there in uh, in the community forum. You just you make an account, press log in on the uh, the community forum, and you are off to the races. You can ask Simon or I a question just like that in two minutes or less, guaranteed. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Brayden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.